Siblings in Christ, who do you follow? What does the word follow mean for you? One of the five-year-olds this morning just shouted out God. We almost said amen and sat down after that. Yeah, she was right. Talked about following in the children's sermon. I've been thinking about following a lot this week and all the ways that we use that word. Often in social media, you have followers. You follow someone. You follow news stories. You follow people. There's lots of ways and things that we follow. Have you ever had that experience where you looked at a word long enough or said it so many times that it starts to like lose all meaning? Like your reality starts to kind of come apart a little bit. Like you say it so many times, you're, you're doubting if it's even the way you spell it, or if it's even like a real word. This happens to me sometimes when I'm studying Bible text. It happened to me when I was preparing for preaching. If you stare at this long enough and say it enough times, you'll start to doubt your reality, so you can test it out if you want to a little bit. But I thought about following a lot, what we follow, who we follow, the way that we use the word follow. I even got the song stuck on my head, I think, from Peter Pan, right? We're following the leader, the leader, the leader, following the leader wherever he will go. There's lots of things that we follow and ways that we follow things, too. A lot of us these days are cardinal direction and street illiterate now, so we will follow our GPS or phone to basically anywhere, right, like this guy did. Took his van up a goat path and got stuck there because his GPS told him to go there. Sometimes we follow each other or the herd with mixed results. Penguins are adorable to watch on YouTube because they follow each other basically anywhere and sometimes nowhere and sometimes it's into the water and out of the water. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes we follow people and go absolutely nowhere. Like if you've ever been standing in a line or you got into a line that you were pretty sure was a line and then you realized later it wasn't actually a line, it was just people that were standing there and you were just standing there doing nothing for a while. I've been there. And eventually, like, ten minutes later, both of you ask each other, like, are you in line? You're not? We're not? Okay. And we're nowhere. Sometimes following brings you places that you don't want to be, too. Sometimes following gets you in trouble. Some of you know I like downhill skiing, sometimes out west on big mountains. Uh, now, I am a relatively conservative skier. I prefer to ski safe. I don't do anything ridiculous. So my, my standard for choosing ski runs and trails is not stupid. Uh, that's the technical term for it. I try not to get into trouble. Uh, but last winter, I was skiing in Colorado, and a group that I was with was trying to navigate its way down an unfamiliar part of a mountain. And with me were several friends, including my friend Joe, who was, let's say, overconfident in his sense of direction. Joe was leading me and a group of friends of varying skiing abilities downward, and his method was, and I quote, listening to the mountain. Uh, and we all followed Joe as he listened his way to a fork in the trails that gave us two choices, either a super steep, narrow, black diamond run with rocks and trees on either side, or a also quite steep blue run populated by deep moguls, those are those bumps, and flanked by woods and thick trees on either side. That was where Joe's listening to the mountain brought us and where our following got us. We chose the blue run. This wasn't it, but it was like this. Uh, Joe fell twice. Mark ended up in the trees with me, and our friend Emma did most of the run sliding down on her back, bump, bump, all the way down the mountain. Uh, I've heard parents ask their kids, if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? And my parents probably asked me that question before as well, and in this case, the answer was yes, apparently. We will go. We made it, and it was rough. 
We followed, and now it's just a good story. But following can lead us into adventures unknown, especially when God's involved. Our Bible story this morning from the Gospel of Mark puts us at a major crossroads in the Gospel story. The lectionary which gives us these texts actually does this story kind of a disservice because it drops us in the middle of a pretty heavy interaction, a pretty heavy conversation. And to carry the weight of that this morning, i got to tell you where we are. Jesus has at this point in the gospel story amassed some disciples who have left their normal lives to follow him. They have seen some amazing things, and they're probably singing their first century version of we're following the leader, the leader, the leader. And right now, in the story, they have left the region of Galilee, which is kind of that northern little lake sea, and they've gone to the region of Caesarea Philippi. It's a lush and fertile area, hilly and mountainy. And it's full of pagan shrines all over the place. I learned that this morning. But it's also named for kings. King Philip was the son of King Herod, also known as Philip the Tetrarch, and Caesar. Caesarea is for Caesar, the emperor of Rome. The region's name is a reminder of who is in charge in the world. And it's in this atmosphere that Jesus springs the question on the disciples, who do you say that I am? Among these kings who had some mega wealth, power, and followers, Jesus asked the disciples who they say he is, and they kick answers around in the dirt for a little while until Peter says, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ. Meaning, among these kings and rulers, these super kings who have all this power, authority, and might, you, Jesus, are the real deal. You are God's chosen and anointed like David and Solomon and all the kings of Israel before you. And you are going to flex on all of these other rulers. And Jesus says, right you are, Pete. But don't tell anybody, please. And then they go on like nothing happened, except Jesus says what we heard today. This is where we get dropped in this morning. Jesus says he's going to suffer and get rejected and get killed. Peter doesn't handle that very well. He's the first of Jesus' followers. He has seen healings, and he has seen thousands of people fed, and storms calmed, and waters walked on, and he is following his leader faithfully, but Jesus' death was not part of the deal. The Messiah's death was never part of the plan, especially if the next verse of following the leader goes, we're off to crucifixion, fiction, fiction. We're off to crucifixion, for Jesus there will go Peter didn't anticipate being asked, if your Messiah friend were to go to the cross, would you go too? And so Peter basically tells Jesus to shut up, and then Jesus claps back and says, get behind me, Satan. In years of hearing this story, I don't think I've ever heard get behind me quite so spatially. In his follow-up comments about disciples taking up a cross and following him, Jesus is essentially telling Peter to get in line behind him and remember who is following whom. Peter's chief offense is that he forgets that he is a follower of his Lord, not an advisor, a handler, or a political manager. Peter essentially tells Jesus to get behind his ideas of king and country. None of this cross stuff for Peter, please. And I gotta admit that most days, I'm kind of with Peter. I'm not sure I would like being told to get behind, get in line, 
I'm not sure I always like the idea of doing the heavy spiritual, mental, and social lifting that cross-bearing and following Jesus really demands. The NRSV translation that we usually read, the one we read this morning, reads like this. If any wish to come after me, Jesus says, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow. I think the New Living Translation might be more helpful today. It says this. If any of you, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. That's pretty counterintuitive to our world. There is a lot of music and marketing that would have us believe that you can go your own way. You can have it your way. You can do it my way. Any way you want it, that's the way you need it. And so on and so forth. And like Peter, if we had our way, we would probably choose to advise, handle, and politically manage Jesus so he fits our convictions, politics, and comfort levels. But in the words of the great and wise and powerful Pastor Kevin Westoff, that ain't it. And yet that doesn't stop us from trying. After all, following Jesus looks a lot less appealing when there's a cross in it for us. Sometimes we even do our best to skip this part. There's a whole movement in Christianity that insists that the gospel is about prosperity and health and wealth. And there's a big swath of Christianity, even locally some, that during Holy Week skips the whole messy Good Friday and Holy Saturday thing so that we can just have Easter services all weekend long. But we're called to take up our cross and follow. And that's hard to ignore. So what does that mean? Well, importantly, preparing the way of the Lord means proclaiming good news, not bad news. doesn't mean steamrolling creation or people en route. Taking up your cross does not mean beating people with it. And wielding the word of God as the sword of the Spirit, as Ephesians 6 says, does not mean skewering people with it. And this should maybe go without saying, but Christianity has a reputation of this in many spaces. I can go online any day and find forums of people asking their peers or pastors if God could really ever love them. Or if they're really going to hell forever because a follower of Jesus told them that because of who they are, who they love, what they've done, they're out of the kingdom of heaven. And there are many others who just want nothing to do with the religion of cross-wielders and not cross-bearers. Like just week I saw the video by this woman on TikTok. She intelligently responds to the hypothetical question, if you're an atheist, what would you say to God on judgment day? Now, she's not a believer, but she knows her Bible and her stories pretty well, and she asks really good questions, and she ends her video by saying, God, if you wanted me to believe in you and your goodness and your love, why would you send followers to me who make comments like this one, that they are looking forward to the day that I end up in hell? How would that ever win me over, she says. A conservative Christianity has been guilty of gatekeeping grace, especially in excluding people of too scientific of beliefs or too progressive of a theology or of the LGBTQIA community, while declaring all the while it's because the Bible says so. 
And the liberal Christianity has been guilty of taking the cross and Bible and then virtue signaling with them, and then turning around and hitting their other Christian siblings with them for not being progressive enough, all while crying, love your neighbor, because the Bible says so. But Jesus says, if any of you want to be my followers, you must give up your own way. Love one another. They will know you that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Anne Lamott wrote, You can safely bet that you have created God in your own image when God hates all the people that you hate. Or to put it in terms of our text today that Jesus says, you know you've created God in your own image when you're sure that the only people Jesus is referring to in this sinful generation is anybody that's not you. Cross-bearing, at the very least, is stopping to take stock of where Jesus is, where our neighbors are, and glancing back at what we are leaving in our wake. That's at the least. At the most, it's a radical reformation of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Lutheran pastor who was executed in prison by the Nazi state, wrote this, when Christ calls someone, he bids them to come and die. But he also says that this death doesn't mean the end of your life. Instead, it's the beginning of communion with Christ, of being a follower of Jesus. And Jesus even says, this is how you save your life. Our Lenten theme this season is the seed of joy. And if you're thinking, gosh, Pastor Ben, joy seems like a pretty sudden transition in a get-behind-me-Satan-take-keep-your-cross-lose-your-life-to-save-it your kind of sermon, and you would be right. But joy is lurking in this gospel story. It's in something Jesus said. It's not a radiant, bright, celebratory kind of joy. It is expectant joy of something coming. And it's planted right here in that verse, almost like a quiet tagline. And three days arise again. Peter seems to miss this little thing entirely in his rush to get ahead of Jesus, and we might miss this because we know the story a little bit. But here it is. It's there. Even with the news of death and defeat coming, there is powerful hope embedded in this, an expectation of joy through the cross. And that hope has sustained and emboldened faithful followers of Jesus for 2,000 years. Uh, last week in the news, another Christian died in prison, also at the hands of the state. Some of you know the name Alexei Navalny. Navalny was Russian. He's a leader, was a leader in the Anti-Corruption Foundation, which is a movement that opposes the current Russian regime. He survived a poisoning in 2020 and fled the country, but then he returned to Russia nonetheless to continue his work there. He was imprisoned in a penal colony north of the Arctic Circle for his outspokenness, and he died last week. What I didn't know was that he was a Christian. He was formerly a militant atheist himself, and he admitted that his faith caused him some ridicule ridicule from the atheists that mostly make up his own anti-corruption foundation and work. But despite that, and despite having an enormous political target on his back, he found his life and work became somehow simpler and easier in his Christianity. And with faith in the Lord, too, who says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Joy certainly doesn't seem present or imminent even in this story, in Navalny's story. But it does seem 
expectant. If we are to grow and learn to be followers of Jesus, it can only be from behind Jesus. Following him might land us in uncomfortable places. Cross-bearing will have to take precedence over cross-wielding. We'll have to check our own way for Jesus' way. And even as we declare ourselves to be followers, we will get it wrong sometimes, and we'll lose some things too. After all, Peter does all the time. Peter is sure that he is a committed follower of Jesus right up until a rooster crows and he has denied his Lord three times. And we will hear that story in a few weeks. But three days later, Peter's wildest ideas of what the cross would mean and who Jesus could be were thrown wide open as death turned into life. May you get behind Jesus and follow May you feel expectant joy, both this Lent and in your life and in your discipleship. And may your joy be realized in this life and in the life to come too. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Farmington Lutheran Church, its ministries, and how to connect to this part of the body of Christ by going to FarmingtonLutheran.com. Peace be with you.